from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. At this point, I'm starting to think the Buffalo Bills are like the TV show Succession. Every time you think things are resolved and it's going to be just fine, they're not. It's about to get weirder, it's about to get more uncomfortable, and it's about to get more dramatic. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You good is such a phrase that guys say to each other. You good? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> now, sometimes two guys will have a little bit of a battle, and afterwards they'll say, we good? And the answer will be yes. But, Harry, we both know that there's different ways of, yeah, we're good. Like, that that can mean a lot of different things. And you can stand up in front of your buddies and say, no, 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 man, everything's fine. We're good. We're good. Don't worry about it. We're good. You can stand up in front of your significant other and you can say, don't worry about it. We're good. Everything's fine. You can stand up in front of a microphone and say, it's fine. We're good. Still, every time there's conflict, once there's been eruptive conflict, the whole room will look around to figure out, Are we really good? And that is where I think the Buffalo Bills today find themselves. Maybe the most stunning part of it to me, Harry, is that we've gone this far. We're talking about stuff that happened in January and February, and now we sit here at the end of June, and it feels like they haven't been able to get rid of whatever the stench of was that was then, and I have to wonder if it carries over to now. Yeah, and I think a can of worms was opened up by Sean McDermott, uh, with his comments that he made that it was very concerning about, you know, Stefan Diggs and the whole nine. And I think if Sean McDermott would have just said what he said yesterday the first time, I don't think it would be this big of a story because what he said the first time then was followed up by Josh Allen saying certain things that made me, like, question a lot what was going on from the offensive coordinator position and also the head coaching position because of his comments. But this, you know, I think it was this morning, you know, Stefan Diggs posted a picture because he was at practice, uh, of him and Josh Allen together and tagged Josh Allen. Josh Allen, about you know, 20 minutes later, reposted it with the fingers crossed. And here's my thing. Yeah, things are great for right now. And they may have you know, had the necessary discussions of some of the things that, were bo- that was bothering Stephon Diggs. But when you get to the season, and your first game is on Monday Night Football on 9-11 versus the New York Jets, who has Aaron Rodgers now and Garrett Wilson as their, you know, probably going to be their number one wide receiver. Stephon Diggs wants to do great. When you have a moment where you're playing the Miami Dolphins and you have Tyreek Hill over there eating it, you see Tua giving him the football on a consistent basis. Well, guess what? Stephon Diggs want to feel the same way. He, he wants Josh Allen to feed him. Or when you're going against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday Night Football, and we all know the connection that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase has, and then I list other ones. You have A.J. Brown and the Eagles who they're going to face. You have Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes who they're going to face. You have C.D. Lamb and Dak Prescott who they're going to face. And then lastly, you talk about Justin Herbert and all three of the receivers that he has now at his disposal. At his disposal, You can't allow you know, all those games to go forth and Stephon Diggs isn't eating like those other guys are eating because I'm telling you, you're going to have issues. Trust me. You, you have totally made me think about something because there's a level of, and, and I think the word ego, sometimes people think is a bad one. I don't. 
I think when you are living in the one percent, you got to have a little ego baked into what you do. If you're one of the best in the world at what you do, you got to believe you're one of the best in the world. And I used to always say in my music days, if you tell me I'm going to have to play for my supper tonight, I'm going to eat damn well. Like I just I have to believe that, right? Like at some point, you have to believe in what what got you to the dance. And I keep thinking about that combined with a little bit of pride in in the way you're viewed and, and what you have. And and every every friend group in the world has a, a stupid friend. Like, we all have that friend that just doesn't handle the moment right, that acts like an idiot. We all have one stupid friend. And what do we all say? Like, you're going into the club, and, and you're about to walk into a place where all eyeballs are going to be there. Everybody's going to be watching you. You know you're coming in with a certain level of expectation because you brought your crew into this club, into this restaurant, into this place. We all have that one stupid friend that inevitably you're going to look at, and you're going to say, hey, man, don't embarrass me. Like, don't embarrass me. Right. That's what a little bit of what I'm starting to feel here when you talk about that. There's this moment of don't embarrass me. If you are sitting here and you're Stefan Diggs, you're looking at Josh Allen saying, don't embarrass me. Like, I want to get mine. I am here for a certain reason. I'm looking at them get theirs. I want to make sure that my my crew is as good as their crew. Like, I want to make sure that we're all seen a certain way because you're messing with my money. You're messing with my reputation. You're messing with the way people see me. Like, those are all things that you can bury until things start to go bad. And then that, hey, I told you not to embarrass me moment really boils up to the surface. And I'll say this, Fitz, because I don't think Stefan Diggs is a selfish player. What I do know he is is a damn competitor. And if you're going to lose a game that's meaningful, lose the game that's meaningful on my damn shoulders. You know what I mean? Let's not lose it some other kind of way. Lose that game exhausting every possibility that I can can help this team win the game. Isn't that sort of... like, no, that's, the, that's the NBA mindset sometimes when we're like, look, Jimmy Butler's supposed to want the ball in his hand at the end of the game, right? Like, Jokic is supposed to want the ball in his hand. LeBron's supposed to want the ball in his hand. Like, if you're going to lose, if you're going to go down swinging, then you better go down swinging with your best stars being being given the opportunity to be your best stars. Like, yeah. that that's yep. that simple. And now, like, what it makes me think is we're here in part because this didn't get addressed. Nobody, I don't miss me with any conversation about, well, travel schedules. It takes 30 seconds to send a text. So either Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, or Sean McDermott didn't send the text to say, hey, we good through any of this. And they were all so oblivious to it that we got to this point. And now I'm sitting there thinking, my God, if this happens during the season, why am I supposed to trust that Sean McDermott is going to be able to read the room the way a coach needs to read the room to diffuse the situation? That's part of the job. Let me say this. You, you're supposed to be talking to your, your your quarterback, and if you're the quarterback, your star receiver throughout the all season, regardless. So uh, I don't, I don't even know how I would even get to this point if they're communicating the way they probably should be communicating anyway. Yeah, like Josh Allen saying, "Well, his travel schedule, my travel schedule, it's been crazy." What have we been watching with the Jets? The minute Aaron Rodgers was signed, Evan, our producer extraordinaire, started the immediate. I'm sure he's got some sort of like location tracker on all of these guys. Like, well, you know, uh, today the receivers had lunch um, with Aaron Rodgers, and tomorrow they're going to be having an ice cream social with their quarterback, and uh, that's the way the fun is going down. It's funny you mentioned that today. Aaron Rodgers recorded a video thanking the Knicks and the Rangers for having him at their playoff games. So that's the update on Jeff. Yeah, Kim. oh, thank you so much. And, and like, it's like, <laughs> hey, I, I saw Aaron Rodgers may have taken some people to Taylor Swift. I wonder if any of them play for the Jets. Like, that's what's happening over here. And you're telling me that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs haven't even just like sent a you up text? Like, hey, man, like, I cannot stress this enough, Harry. Harry and I are friends. 
if I text Harry and I don't hear back from him, my first thought is, is he okay? If I text him again and I don't hear back from him, my next thought after a day or two is going to be, okay, what, if I know he's he's texting other people but not me, then I'm like, okay, did I do something? And as a grown-ass man with the friendship that I care about, I'm going to reach out to my coworker that's a grown-ass man with the friendship I care about, and I'm going to say, hey, man, we good? Even if it's a surfacey, we good? We're going to have that conversation, right? Well, uh, 100%. But I, I would think after we seen Stefan Diggs upset when it, when they were losing to the Cincinnati Bengals, I would think at some point before now, they would have uh, addressed that issue. Like that entire, you know, showing. I, I would have thought they would have addressed that before they got to minicamp. I think that's part of everybody in this room, whether it's Josh Allen or what. I won't say everybody. I'm not going to include Stephon Dix. If he's in his fields, he can reach out to everybody and say, hey, man. But also, like, they're not new teammates. You, you pointed this out earlier. Like, everybody around this organization knows these guys at this point. Do you not know? Like, we know when Devin's in a weird mood because the Giants lost. We know when Evan's all prickly because Aaron Rodgers might have the runs that day. Like, you know when I'm having a bad day. Like, how, how do these guys not suddenly read the room and say, okay, we need to have a real conversation. It seems like Diggs isn't acting himself. Like, that just seems normal. Well, that's why I don't buy the whole thing that Ken Dorsey is the new offensive coordinator. What Ken Dorsey been with the Buffalo Bills since 2019. 2019. And you know that Stephon Diggs helped Josh Allen become a better quarterback. So, damn, you're damn right you should know how he ticks and how he thinks and how he wants to be involved. It don't take a genius to be an offensive coordinator to figure come up here and, and finally figure that out. I mean, He's your best player on offense outside your quarterback. My, my best player on offense that's a wide receiver needs to be checked in on. Like, I think I could write that in any uh, – I. I don't know if there's an offensive coordinator manual in the NFL, but it seems like one of the first four or five pages would say, check in on your star wide receiver to make sure that he's good. Like, that just seems human, Harry. That doesn't even seem football. That just seems human. And I am stunned that a Bills team that is obviously so close has this divide. Like, something has happened to create this divide. And McDermott needs to be better about fixing it. But I'll say this. If if I want all Buffalo Bill fans and – People who root for the Bills to hear this. This is something you don't want to carry over to the regular season because you're trying to do something special. And you also have to deal with that division. Better yet alone, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes on top of that and mm. Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson. So you want to get these things right and not let it be a distraction during the football season. Hopefully they'll figure that out as soon as training camp starts. Fitz and Harry, presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility, great pay, and benefits? Oh, go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Who doesn't want that? Does another wide receiver already have an issue with a teammate, with a team he's currently visiting? Whew! Tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
Jeff is not here. Everybody else is here at the current time. How concerned are you about that? Oh, very concerned. There's been a lot of speculation about Stefan Diggs being unhappy in Buffalo for weeks and maybe even months now. And all along, people have denied it. And Josh Allen said that they're working through some issues. So clearly, something is wrong in Buffalo. I think there's something else that's bothering Stefan Diggs that I feel like the Bills organization needs to address so they can move forward. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. One of our favorites. The bat phone rang. He picked up. It's always a delight when he does. ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington. Jeff, we were just digging in to the Bills issues. You're welcome, America. Be here all week. Try the veal. Uh, in your mind, uh, I'm going to ask you a double uh, a double-barreled question, which you're never supposed to do. But I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Number one, what resolves all of this for the Bills? But number two, what difference does any of this make in the way their season plays out? You know, it's it's a very interesting situation in part because, well, it's twofold. The first of which is they've had several months clearly since the end of the season to address this, which seems slightly problematic that all of a sudden it comes up in the very last of OTAs or uh, the very last activity in the offseason program. Um so I guess the, the question is, why did, it, why did it fester for several months and then sort of culminate with these meetings that he had with the GM and the head coach um, with the Bills? And then I guess the second part of it is what happens now, because there's nothing between now and the start of training camp. Um, you know, Sean McDermott, the head coach, said that everything is fine. They're all good. Uh, I, while I'm generally the type to take the word of someone like McDermott, who, you know, gets the benefit of the doubt on things. Um, I'm a little reluctant to think that everything is just fine after what was very clearly a weird 48 hours. So I guess moving forward, the question is, did one day really remedy whatever is festering within that building? Jeff, I'm with you. I think it's also weird that you go all this time and those two guys or all three of y'all don't work this out. Clearly, when you've seen at the end of the game versus the Cincinnati Bengals, mm-hmm. Stephon Diggs upset about something. Like, I, I don't know, like, why are we waiting to minicamp before this is finally coming up? And uh, I'm pretty sure everyone has each other's phone numbers and are, are guys not talking in the offseason? Because I don't know what that's like. Because every team I played on, all of all, all, all my teammates, we, we talked. We talked on the phone. Or if we didn't talk, we text on the phone. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird to me. You know, it's also, I think another strange component to it is like, I I don't really, it's weird because Sean McDermott is usually pretty short answered when it comes to like, you know, media and interviews. And it sort of opened Pandora's box when he said about his absence, you know, very concerned Um, rather than just sort of saying, you know, we're uh, Stefan will be here. He was, you know, he was here yesterday or something like that. Um, because that's really what opened all this up. And I'm not saying that that would have fixed anything, but at least uh, they, they would have had a chance to kind of figure this out between the, now and the start of training camp without it being something that, you know, we clearly now is a very publicly talked about situation. And, and sometimes when things do go public like this, it often creates um, even more friction when, 
you start to see comments come out and everybody's evaluating what this person said, what that person said. I thought Josh Allen did the best of anybody of really coming out and emphatically saying, Stefan is our guy. This doesn't work without him. Uh, he's a brother and we need to like figure it out. This is family. And I thought that was the best sort of comment that came out of all of this. The question is, um, is that enough to extinguish whatever's happening? So we're talking to Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter. Let me be overly cynical, logical guy for a second then, Jeff, because I get that Aaron Rodgers makes the Jets better. I, I, there's no question about that. And I get that if Tua is healthy, the Dolphins look like they can be very good. What I don't understand, drama, even with all this drama, why are we suddenly presuming that the Bills, who won 13 games last year, are poised to take a big step back? Oh, I'm not. I mean, I don't. I actually think that Josh Allen is is setting himself up to have the best. I mean, from, from my understanding, talking to people behind the scenes, Josh Allen has had one of his better off seasons in terms of um, just really feeling like he's committing um, to to really taking the next step. I, I think Allen could be um, having the best season of his career, which is saying a lot considering what he did in 2020. I believe is the year that he had his career year. Um, I, like, I, I just think that, you know, we're always, it's the same thing with the Chiefs last year. We spent the offseason sort of picking them apart. Do they have enough weapons? Is this offensive line really legit enough? And then they go and win the Super Bowl. I understand we're, we're going to always kind of try to find the flaws. And in a division like this, it makes sense that the Bills um, will be fighting every week to kind of to hang at the top. But, no, I, I think you're – very legit in saying that as long as this Josh Allen or uh, not Josh Allen, sorry, Stefan Diggs situation doesn't further fester um, because they do need him. Uh, I think that they're, they are the team to beat still in the AFC East. Let's stick with the wide receiver position because we all know that's the best uh, position on the football field. Oh, no sure. pun intended. No, no bias. I'm just saying. <laughs> so DeAndre Hopkins is, uh, is visiting the Patriots today. How much will Bill O'Brien impact that signing? You know, I, I don't ever want to just assume that the past is an indication of the future. I have a difficult time simply erasing um, the way his departure from Houston went down when DeAndre Hopkins said that when he left after six seasons together, he said, we have had zero relationship, me and Bill O'Brien, for the six years I've been here. And he later kind of came out and tried to say that he's got the utmost respect for O'Brien, but then there was some different kind of comments, unsourced um, comments in the media about his departure in which Hopkins then responded and seemingly taking shots at O'Brien. It just never felt like they, that, that, that it was really great at all. It felt like a pretty weird dynamic. Now, could that change? Could both guys have gone their separate ways and realized maybe they were pretty good for each other after all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill Belichick, could he have a say in this because how much he loves Hopkins to kind of make sure that everything's cool there? Of course, yes. But uh, but I have a tough time. If you would ask me when Hopkins first got released, like name the least likely team um, other than the Texans, to, and I would have probably put the Patriots ahead of them because of Bill O'Brien being there. So, yeah, I do think it's significant. But c- considering that they continue to – feel like a leader in the clubhouse to get his services, uh, I guess something must have changed. 
Jeff, as always, my friend, I appreciate your time. I think this was the most professional interview we've ever done with you. We didn't it ask about really, speed. Didn't go off the rails at all. I was I, literally I just thinking that. you on, <laughs> on your uh, your big Stanley Cup win. You were on Twitter the other night talking about it like it was the first sporting event you ever watched. I, I mean, um, you know, I'm going out you were to like the crying. Look, Vegas kids didn't think this moment would ever happen, but I'm I'm flying out tomorrow to go to the parade Saturday night Vegas? on the Wait, strip. What I am? Say, how long have the Vegas Knights even been a thing? No, it's not about the Vegas Knights, though, Jeff. Like I know we have a commercial. Evans freaking out now. I'm just going to tell you, sorry, Jeff. No. Here's what it is, though. Uh, like I when I left Vegas as a kid, every, like there was such a stigma about oh, well, it's a mafia town where your parents in the mafia. Like nobody ever thought that Vegas was a legitimate city, so it's not really about the Golden Knights. It's about the city of Las Vegas oh finally getting God. to... Like, this is this is years of... I, I was made fun of everywhere I moved because I'm from Vegas. Still to this day, I got a Vegas tattoo. You know that all over my right arm. People are like, I hey, sure do like Vegas. Well, I mean, you know what? I'm Harry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. You I know who else likes <laughs> Vegas? The Stanley Cup likes Vegas, Jeff. You yeah, know what? I'm, I'm going to be sitting poolside tomorrow with the Bellagio. You're not invited. That's yeah. all I have to say. I'm living yeah. fancy. I mean, I'm sorry, Harry. I'm really sorry about that. Will you have a cigar with you, Fitz, or some green stuff? Uh, Well, no. I mean, it's Vegas. It's legal now. It's going to be all the, like, it'll be a cigar. It'll just be split and stacked with something else. All right. Jeff Darlington. (laughs) Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Jeff's like, you know, it was going so well. And right at the end, that's what happens to me. All right. uh, Coming up, uh, there's all this conversation that Zion needs to go to New York. But another star may actually beat him to the punch to getting there. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. We're joined now by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey stars and executive produces the upcoming AMC series, Dead City, where he continues the role as Negan. We all know it. The series premieres AMC Sunday, June 18th. Jeffrey, really appreciate your time, man. What excites you about Dead City particularly? Uh, I think what got me really excited was the the urban setting, the New York City of it all more than anything. You know, we've been in the woods for uh, 11 years fighting the the walkers. So it was nice to have uh, a new setting with these two characters that don't like each other very much. And I, I just think that the New York of it all adds something that we've never quite seen in this universe. And Jeffrey, I have to ask you, as an executive producer, what are you hoping to add to the Walking Dead legacy? Man, that's a good question. I, you know, when I when I was asked to be an executive producer on it, you know, I think a lot of times as actors we do that in, and it's really just kind of a credit, right? I mean, we don't do actually any of the producing. Um, you just get a nice credit that goes on, looks good on the resume. And it turns out they really wanted uh, Lauren Cohan and I to, to actually work and earn <laughs> that credit. Um, so I know way too much behind the scenes now. Um, you know, I have to be wary of things like budgets and uh, uh, hours and that kind of thing, uh, which is scary, frankly. It's uh, not the stuff that I normally am thinking about when I'm on set, for sure. Um I think what I did, it just makes me appreciate 
more than anything, kind of what people's jobs are. I mean, I've always been a crew guy. I love my crew, as I'm sure you guys love working with the people you work with. You become, you know, a family in a in a sense, and especially when you're on a show for as long as we've been doing The Walking Dead. Um, the crew is your family. So uh, a lot of new crew members, uh, obviously, moving from Georgia to New York. And uh, it was my job to make sure everybody kind of knew what they were doing. This is a world that it, it's hard to film The Walking Dead. I mean, we're shooting a movie uh, every eight days. Um, you know, some shows you you have a month to do an episode. We had eight days. So, um it's tough. It's tricky. It's a lot of pressure. And I think that uh, Lauren and I both learned to embrace the executive producer of it all. And uh, I, I don't know if I loved it or if I hated it. And I still, the jury is out. We will see uh, <laughs> with the final result of the show. I think it's a little surreal for me because I'm a huge Halloween fanatic, right? So uh, every year I'm going through the stores constantly, and you see Walking Dead stuff everywhere. And your character, <laughs> Negan, became so one of the most culturally iconic characters you could portray yeah. at Halloween. What's it feel like just to walk around and see something that you've created, emulated by so many people? It's pretty fun. Um, I mean, I, Halloween, you'd see, you know, like eight-year-old kids or young dressed up like Negan and that always worried me like are you watching the show do you know who this character <laughs> is um and I've seen kids you know eight nine ten years old like doing like Negan quotes that probably they shouldn't be saying um a lot of the times I think it's their parents kind of pushing those kids forward and using them uh, as a way to uh uh, get closer to cast or whatever it may be. Um, but a lot of the times these kids watch the show at a young age. I, I, I didn't, I, my kids still, uh, haven't seen full episodes. Gus maybe just saw a full episode, but he still hasn't seen like Negan introduction coming out of the trailer and bashing heads. And he's been on the show as a Walker. Mm. Um, and I still haven't let him see like the really, really dark stuff just because it's, it's, uh, it's heavy. Um, that being said, I love it. I love seeing the cosplayers and the Halloween. It's an easy costume. If you have a leather jacket and a baseball bat, you're kind of in, you can kind of go from there, you know? Um, but it's always a thrill to see the, see people dressed up like Negan. Well, I have multiple leather jackets. Mm. I have multiple baseball bats in my closet just right, in case I need There you one. go. And I'm not talking about <laughs> for baseball purposes. <laughs> but, but I got but one I got one next to my bed for the very same reason. <laughs> but Jeffrey, talk to us about this though because man, it, it has to be a lot of pressure that comes with a show that's built around a comic book. Talk to us about that pressure. Well, I think, especially now doing a spinoff, I mean, I think Walking Dead became such kind of a, a phenomenon, a, a pop, pop culture phenomenon. At one point, it was the highest viewed television show in the world. Um, and and then stepping outside of what we know to be the mothership, what is The Walking Dead, and doing these spinoffs, suddenly... Um, I'm nervous as hell, and I do feel the pressure. Uh, I, I sure didn't as much, certainly, doing the main show. There was so many of us as a cast, uh, and we were all on it kind of for so long. Even Negan was on there for 
you know, six, seven years. Um, I mean, who would have thought, uh, you know, originally I think I signed to do two years and, um, sure you, you feel a little bit of pressure, but when you're with that many people, um, you don't feel like you're necessarily having to carry the show, certainly. And in this one, I mean, Lauren and I are in basically every scene. Um, and, and so I, I, I do feel pressure. And you, you want it to be good. You want the people that uh, have certainly gotten familiar with this world in crazy ways. Uh, you want those people to continue to love this universe, the, uh, what The Walking Dead has, has become to them. You don't want to let them down. Uh, the fans for this show are some of the most passionate I've ever met in my career. Um, I think comic books in general, uh, films and TV shows that are based on comic books, are so successful because of the, the people that love those comics. Um, Watchmen was kind of my first foray into a big comic book world. And, and uh, he learned really fast uh, how passionate the fans are and how important it is for them, for you not to mess it up. Um, and I still feel it now to this day. Now, there's not a dead city comic book per se, but these characters were born on, on the pages of a comic book that Robert Kirkman wrote. And you don't want to mess it up for him or for the fans. And you do feel it because that's what people love. They love that, that what they fell in love with on the page. Uh, and you sure do want to bring that to life. We're talking to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Speaking of passionate fans, we know you're a passionate Seahawks fan. So obviously your schedule is crazy, though. So uh, g- give us the, the lowdown. Where's the, like, what's the weirdest place you've ever had to watch a Seahawks game? Oh, my God. Uh, I was doing uh, a commercial for a video game, actually, and we were in Romania. <laughs> um, and that was that – was and I was staying in this kind of funky castle – uh, dead of winter. I remember there was like six feet of snow. Uh, no one spoke English. And I, me trying to figure out how to get the Seahawks game. And I think I finally went on social media, like on my Twitter feed, and was like, I just said, hey, anybody anybody know how to get the Seahawks game in Romania? And uh, I ended up getting some um, – I figured out how to watch the game through people on, uh, on Twitter. So I, I thank them. Um, that was probably the furthest away I've been, but I mean, I've watched games on my phone working. Um, you know, sometimes you have to work on a Sunday or maybe we're at a Monday night game and I'm on set and, uh, you know, let's say I'm in a, in a car or something and, you know, the director's just screaming at me to put the phone out of the frame because they can see my face all lit up and watching the game or screaming or, you know, whatever I'm doing. I tend to get a little animated during Seahawks games, um, but I don't miss them. I tell you that I don't miss them. I don't think I've missed a Seahawks game in 20 some odd years. Wow, the dedication. I'm telling you, Harry, like, this is what, like, all the years I was on the road in music, you watch in some weird places, and they still don't let me watch Raiders games when, you know, I'm actually on air because it's not professional. Jeffrey. Yeah, I mean, thank God. Thank God for, like, smartphones and stuff. I mean, that's been a game changer for us, you know. I mean, it used to be, worst came to worst, you had to go to a bar that had a satellite. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, with with, uh, the NFL packages you can get on on YouTube or DirecTV or, you know, maybe the game's on ESPN. Yay, ESPN. Um, There's ways to track down the game. You just have to figure it out. And if I do, 
You don't have to track down Dead City. You can find it easily on AMC, premiering Sunday, June 18th, with Jeffrey starring and executive producing. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, man, we appreciate your time. Good luck to your Seahawks this year. Good luck with the show. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Always fun stuff from him. In the meantime, could a dynasty continue in the Bay Area with one move? It's breaking. We'll tell you about it today from our show, Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. telling me you want to extend the championship window of Steph Curry, right? You have some big decisions to make. It's obvious that the chemistry of this year's team was messed up. You give you gave Jordan Poole a big deal, right? And I like Jordan Poole. You also have Klay Thompson, who's going to be a free agent uh, the following year. He wants a max contract. I am willing to state publicly that if you want to extend the championship window for Steph Curry, I look into moving both Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson to the Washington Wizards for Bradley Bill. Three hours later. Bradley Beal is one of the biggest names when it comes to recognition for common fans walking around. They know who he is. The question is, is he the guy that can extend the Warriors' window for a dynasty? Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. It was a simple question. We asked our own Jay Will, Jay Williams from Keyshawn, Jay Will and Max. We asked him, hey, you know, where's the best destination for Bradley Beal? Without hesitation, He said Golden State. Now, in fairness, about 30 minutes later, we proposed that to Vince Carter. He had a harder time seeing any world where they would let go of Klay Thompson, which would be an important part of that deal. Now that we've had a little bit of time to think about it, that really, Harry, becomes the question. If you're the Warriors, would you you be willing to part ways with Klay Thompson to pick up Bradley Peel, or do you just keep running it back with what you've got, hoping you can find instead somebody else at some point to take you into the next generation? I think that is something, honestly, that whoever they decide is going to be the general manager and take over for Bob Myers, that they're going to have to seriously weigh. And um, they probably already have an idea who, who that person is going to be, but it's not like they have a lot of time to work with because, you know, free agency is coming up. And also, you want to try to get on top of these things uh, rather quickly, more so than waiting them out. But... Clay Thompson is a phenomenal player, right? A two-way player. One of the things that Vince Carter brought up I thought was very key is what he brings to the defensive side, even if he isn't the guy that he used to be from that side of the ball. Now, if he is traded, now that is going to put more onus on Andrew Wiggins to be that primary defensive stopper outside of Draymond, which Andrew Wiggins is capable of doing. We've seen that in uh, the NBA Finals a year ago when they beat the Boston Celtics in guarding Jason Tatum. But also, man, I, I think it's very pivotal that the secondary players, because you would probably have to get rid of Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson, but 
Jonathan Kaminga, can he grow? Can he be better moving forward? Moses Moody, can he grow and be better moving forward? And I think um, meeting with those guys and seeing where their headspace is, I think for the front office, I think that's imperative before you make this move uh, as well. And also just seeing the maturity of those guys. Are they capable of maturing and being, you know, the outside pieces to the main players on this roster right now? There are a, mu- a bunch of questions that they'll have to answer, and this is just the beginning. Your Bob Myers point is such an important one. First things first, if you're the Warriors, you got to figure out who's running your organization. Then yep. that person has to decide. Do they want to tip a hat to everybody there and keep what's going so that they don't ruffle feathers, or do they want to come in and immediately put their own stamp on the organization? If so, a, a, a trade like the Bradley Beal one could make sense. Also, uh, I got to get everybody caught up because you know I'm on parade fever. I'll be at the parade in Vegas Saturday night on the Las Vegas Strip celebrating the Golden Knights Championship. Sounds but, like uh, you're talking to somebody. I, I mean, well, I, yeah, say I mean, I'm just saying. I'm saying with my chest. Some of us here are proud of our fandom, whether you like it or not when you listen to media. Uh, in the meantime, I will say this. Uh, Nikola Jokic made it clear he didn't really care about parades, didn't really care if he was going to have one. Tell he was at one. This is just moments ago, and you'll have to forgive all of the beeps because my man was on one. Jokic on the float. You know that I, I told that uh, I don't want to stay on parade, but I f-ing want to stay on parade. This is the best. This is this is amazing. The best day of my life. This is amazing. <laughs> Uh, I I got goosebumps. If I had hair on my arms, it would stand up. Harry, I'm going to be experiencing that on the Vegas. Here's my one question for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able through an incredible contact to get a seat. So I have a seat where I, you know, I got to hit a certain, you know, food and alcohol minimum, but I'm going to be sitting above the people watching the the parade as it goes down at this really great, yeah, above the people sitting in this great elevated seat. But then the whole parade ends down by T-Mobile Arena with everybody doing speeches and and then the, the DJ said, do I leave my table and then follow? Follow the parade down to be part of the block party, or do I just experience the parade as it passes me by and then keep drinking at my table? Right now, I'm leaning to just be amongst the people at the parade and not worry about the block party at the end. What do you think? Well, I, I would say this: uh, you're probably going to get there an hour before you know the floats and stuff come past you, right? Right, two hours, two hours. Okay, goal. yeah, yeah. So you're going to get to enjoy that moment at, uh, right then and there. Um, just stay in your spot, man. I, I don't. Yeah, I think once the float passes me by, once the float passes me by, I've seen the parade. Now I'm oh, part of the parade. To do that, now we, just, yeah, like I, I, I got a broken foot. I'm just gonna stand where I am and just take down a bottle of tequila and honor my boy Harry Douglas. All right, yeah, Kenny and Carlin coming up next. They won't be as good looking, but they might be smarter. Uh, he's he's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. Thanks for hanging out with us. You've been listening to the Fitz and Harry podcast. You can listen to the guys live weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio. And you can watch on the ESPN app.